My name is Jetta Beacon, and God has provided so much for me. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalms 37:25, where David says, I was once a young man, but now I'm old. He said, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. I have taken that scripture, my husband and I have taken that scripture to heart because we've seen God move in such a phenomenal way in our lives. And there have been so many incidents where Father God, our Abba, has come through in ways that we could not plan or anticipate. And one of those ways, when Governor Inslee put out the, the mandate for um, vaccinations, uh, after much consideration and prayer, I submitted my religious exemption in early September. By the time I walked to the dental clinic to submit it and walked back over to my office, sat down, not even 15 minutes, I got the response that they had denied the religious exemption. On October the 18th was my last day on my job. But on October 17th, someone called me and offered me a position. If we're walking in Christ, our testimony will go before us. Father God, He provides. We don't have to worry about how He's going to do it or when He's going to do it, but just know that He is going to do it. I've seen God's provision over and over again. When my husband had his stroke and he was the main breadwinner, we had three sons. I was a stay-at-home mom. God provided everything that we needed as far as food, clothing, shelter, and being able to pay our bills. And during the whole time, Steve and I have continued to tithe because we're trusting God for the outcome. And I have other instances where God has provided for me in a mighty way, going to graduate school, applying for an internship. The internship that I, that I received paid me more money than I was making in my previous job. Prior to that, I had to take a year off from working for the school district without pay or without insurance. And here I get an internship which pays me more than the school district was paying me, gave me medical insurance. I made enough where I could pay all my tuition for the master's program. God is good. And I could not sit back and not speak to the generosity of Father God. He is my sustainer. And now as I'm heading towards 70, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. To trust God for beyond what we can see and understand and grasp is faith. Good morning, True Grace. My name's Rick, and I'm a missionary to uh, Lacey from Gig Harbor. So it's great to be here with my people. Uh, I do uh, recognize quite a few of you because I get the invitation to come now and then to True Grace. It's always a privilege. And uh, I got a call from Peter last week who said, hey, while I finish up this COVID thing, how about you preach? And I said, okay. But I actually think uh, Jetta's testimony might be better than anything I got to say, you know? Uh, that's my dad's favorite verse. My, whenever we go through a tough time in our family, um, I'd say, Dad, what are we going to do? And he'd say, never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You know, like that was his kind of go-to, so I really appreciate that verse. Well, here we are. Happy New Year, huh? January 9th already. Okay, we're past the epiphany when uh, the, the church at large uh, kind of recognizes the, the arrival of the wise guys uh, from the east. And uh, can you feel the days getting longer? 
Huh? Did you know that today is going to be one minute and 29 seconds longer than yesterday? One minute, 29 seconds. Just soak it in. Just get out there and soak it in. Uh, but, you know, I think that's an important point, and I, I hate to get super spiritual right out of the gate, but listen, uh, the way that things get brighter in our lives most often is about a minute 29 uh, a day. You know what I mean? When maybe you're going through some dark times, and you're thinking, God, you know, get, turn the lights on. And most of the time, what I've noticed is that God's, you know, he walks with us and it just gets a little bit brighter every day. You know, now if God wants to just, you know, hit the floodlight, he can do that. He knocked, uh, you know, uh, uh, Saul off his horse to Damascus. And, you know, there's a few times when the lights came on. But most of the time, God will just continue to allow the darkness to drift slowly away. And so whether that is uh, a grief work that you have to go through, through a loss or reorientation, or any kind of difficulty, just count on that, you know, and maybe that's for somebody today. But hey, new year, new opportunities, right? And probably new variants, who knows, but guess what? Uh, We are going to focus this idea this morning on staying on track. Now, I have a background in railroad. I was a Amtrak porter for four years. My run was from Seattle to Chicago on what was called the Empire Builder. There's actually a couple of documentary movies out that just you know, like show exactly what I did for, my, for a living. And, uh, and of course, one of the things they had to do when they trained us as porters on the train was we had to go through derailment training. That was frightening, you know, because they, they said, okay, there's a possibility that this train doesn't stay on its tracks. And guess what? Unfortunately, can you guys remember, you know what, just over a, a little over a year ago, and we had that incredible derailment, you know, that was right just down the road here. And, uh, and so, you know, that was one of those frightening things where they, they told us, you know, hey, if the train does this or that, you know, no big deal. If it does this or that, that's, you know, watch out. And what are you going to do? And, you know, and, and we were supposed to be sort of like the first responders for folks on the train, you know, so we were trying to trained to kind of help. And anyway, so it was one of those deals where whenever I was riding from Seattle to Chicago, I was always thinking like, man, I hope we can stay on track, you know? (laughs) And you know, the Bible says that there is a a track for us too. And uh, this is not going to surprise you, but um, it's called grace and truth. That's what it says. They said they beheld Jesus, and they, he, he seemed to me, uh, to them, you know, the, the writer, especially John, he said, listen, this is like God visiting us, and, you know, the way we would describe him is he's full of grace, and he's full of truth. And if you ever jump one of those tracks, I mean, you know, you, 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 know, you go off the rails, right? Well, I think that it's important every year, you know, when we kind of turn the corner is to say, okay, how do I stay on track with that? How do I maintain, you know, my understanding of what what truth is and what grace is, and just keep tracking, right? And so a lot of times what people do is they do resolutions, you know, and they think, I got to get my life back on track. I got to make sure I stay on track, so I'm going to make a resolution. And usually those are, you know, most resolutions are about health, relationships, or finance. That's, those are the three things that are mostly addressed in resolutions. And the idea of a resolution, you all know this, is that it's, it's sort of supposed to improve you. It's an improvement, right? Like not too many people go like, you know, this is the year I'm going to start smoking, or, you know, this year I'll finally max out all the credit cards. You know, that's not really, that's not a resolution. You know, resolution is supposed to be an improvement. Um, you know, but there's things that you can, you know, stop doing. Like, hey, some of us maybe need to stop singing with the headphones on. You know, just a little tip, you know, if, you, if you've ever heard yourself. Uh, or how about stop bringing that egg salad sandwich to work, please? This year, could this be the year? Uh, but, you know, uh, there's a writer that I like. Uh, he says that the more specific you can be about your resolution, 
Well, the more, you know, the better chance you have of sticking with it. You know, instead of just saying, you know, hey, you know, I want to lose weight. That's, that's pretty vague, right? You have to say, when my arm jiggles, I want it to look less like a pelican's throat pouch choking down a bass. Now, that's, that's specific, see? That's motivating, right? Uh, 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 but the word, actually, the root word for resolution, we all know this, would be Good, yeah, resolve. We have some uh, students here. And resolve actually means to decide firmly on a course of action. That's what the definition of resolve is. It means you know, you're going to make a commitment, a firm, you know, a firm decision to a particular course of action. That's why I think the railroad tracks is kind of a good metaphor because, you know, that goes to, you know, hey, we're heading somewhere. And, you know, in my little graphic I made here for the screen, it shows like we're heading, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Don't you love that graphic? Huh? That's where we're headed. And uh, so, you know, we kind of, we have to decide firmly that uh, we're going to stay on track. In fact, um, it's really interesting that they've done all this research. There's, a, there's no shortage of researchers in our world, you know, but somebody researched resolutions, New Year's resolutions, and they found out that they, they kind of mirror other kinds of decisions, and that is that most resolutions, timing matters. So most people make a decision to improve at the beginning of a week, at the beginning of a month, and at the beginning of a year. In fact, the beginning of the year is the big one, right? That's 80% over uh, all the other factors. But very few people decide to, you know, kind of change in the middle of something. They wait till some, they get a chance to start something new. And that's why, you know, attending uh, every week, you know, uh, to gather and worship, you could be attending online or attending here, but you are deciding, okay, new week, you know, first day of a brand new week, here we go, you know, and let's let's once again reaffirm uh, what's happening in our lives and stay on track, right? Um, well, it's interesting because um, they, they did a, a big study about the word diet. Now, you know, uh, one of the things about researchers is that they've benefited from bajillion uh, items of data from all of our search. And, you know, so Google is quite the source now. So a, a group of Google researchers, they, they looked up the word diet over a period of nine years, nine years when people started, you know, searching for diet. Here's what they found out. They found out that the beginning of a week, beginning of a month, and especially the beginning of a year was the most, you know, the most hits for that kind of a search. And uh, in fact, beginning of a year was 82% over the baseline. Now, what's interesting is that they, they found out that these people, they searched, but then the search would taper off. It would be like an intense search, and then it would fade. And a lot of times that happens with us, you know. In fact, you know, it's the peak and then the taper off about kind of decisions or commitments that we make. Um, like it starts off as eat more vegetables, and then it tapers off to just eat more. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then it starts out with like help others, and then it just tapers off to help, you know. So, I mean, so things can change, right? That's why we need to revisit that. And so when we think about resolve, I thought what a great uh, opportunity for us to look at uh, uh, one person in the Old Testament part of the Bible who uh, is just such a tremendous example of resolve, of staying on track. And this guy is one of my favorite guys. Uh, I've kind of made a, a lifelong study of, uh, of his life, and it's Daniel, the book of Daniel. Did you know Daniel is the only one we have in the entire Bible that's described that, you know, we don't know everything about him, but we have no dirt on Daniel. Like, I mean, you know, every other patriarch, you know, Moses got mad and, you know, hit the rock and, you know, and David was a great king, but, you know, there was that hot tub thing, you know? And so, I mean, everybody had a deal, but nothing, nothing is said about Daniel. Nothing. Nothing. He, it just, there's no dirt on Daniel. He just, it just talks about his life, but his life was not easy. In fact, in very first chapter of Daniel, it says this, Daniel 
resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food. And so you see, the, Daniel was a man of resolve. And I think as men and women in our uh, culture today, we can learn a lot from, from uh, you know, this, this individual that's, that's described. And, and there's a whole book called Daniel. It's one of the uh, more uh, interesting books in, in all of the old, maybe the, all of the scriptures, because the first six chapters of Daniel are kind of stories, amazing tremendous, uh, you know, heroic stories. And some of you know a lot of those stories, like Daniel on the lion's den, you know. You know those stories. But then the sev- the, starting chapter 7 to 12, it's this vision he had, and it is weird. It is like actually a, a sort of parallel to the book of Revelation where, you know, there's a lot of just mystic, interesting, futuristic stuff. So, you know, it's, it's profound, but it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, contrast to the first, it's like the first six chapters are like, wow, what an adventure. And then the second six are like, wow, what's going on? You know, so it's a really interesting book. And uh, so you can see why you could dedicate a lot of time to it. And I hope that you kind of revisit that if you haven't. But what I love is at the very end, in, in the 12th chapter of Daniel, uh, after seeing all this and kind of talking to the, the, you know, the person who was kind of showing him all these, these uh, things that he was writing down, he actually then asked a question of God, like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, what's next for me? And we, we talk a lot about that in church. You know, what's your best next step? What's your next step? Have you not been baptized in water? That's a good next step. You know, so we're always looking, hey, let's keep moving. Let's keep, let's stay on track, right? And this is what God says to Daniel. I love this. He says, as for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. What? what? You know what this means if you look it up because it's an Aramaic and Hebrew kind of thing. It's, what it means is, hey, Daniel, just keep doing what you're doing. Just stay in the groove. Just stay on track. You got it. You're devoted. Uh, you know, you're, you're a leader. Uh, you know, I mean, he, if you look at Daniel's life, he just said, just keep it up. Keep it up. And there's one uh, uh, commentary that talks about that phrase in Hebrew means stay on the well-traveled pa- uh, path. Like, you know, you've made a you know, you, have you ever seen any place where, like, some of you, you know, you go hiking or whatever, and you can see there's a path because so many people have walked in the same spot. That's what this phrase means. And he says, till the end, which is a really interesting uh, phrase, because he's basically, the, the Hebrew word is, just keep, just keep doing what you're doing till you get to the border. And he's talking about the border between life and death. You'll get to the border someday, and then you cross over, and You'll receive your inheritance. That's what, that's what God told Daniel. So who was Daniel? Well, let's take a look just as a refresher. Very interesting life. And uh, as you can see, I, I, I got a little uh, graphic here. This is the kind of stuff pastors love this stuff, you know what I mean? But it's kind of busy, but I'll just sort of really quickly explain. Daniel's life, these are the kings that Daniel served. Four kings. Now, all four of these kings... Had, did not have a high regard for Israel or Israel's God or the practice of worshiping Israel's God or anything, and Daniel served him his whole life. The guy we remember most is Nebuchadnezzar because he was kind of, you know, he's a big part of the story in the first six chapters, but he also served, you know, uh, Cyrus, Belshazzar, who's Nebuchadnezzar's kid, and then Darius. All, all of these, these kings w- w- were, you know, employed Daniel in, in their court. Now, this is very interesting because, see, Daniel, you might remember, Nebuchadnezzar came into, into Jerusalem, the city, and you know that one song we sang, which is great, I love that Psalm 107, it says, like, God will take his people who are scattered, and, and you know, he'll bring them back to the city. Not all of them. 
Because, see, sometimes that happens, and that's true. And we know that, I mean, pull out a map today and see if you can find Israel. It's there. See if you can find Jerusalem. It's there. Some of us have been there, right? It's amazing. But not everybody gets gathered and returned. Daniel was actually kidnapped and taken hostage. And he, and he lived his entire adult life in exile. Never came back. Never came back. He lived in, in for a foreign country. In fact, in Babylon, it was 50 miles south of Baghdad, and probably some of you have been de- deployed, have you know, run all over that area, right? So what happens is, this is a really remarkable story about a man who doesn't live you know, in a place where he can, he can even celebrate the Jewish feasts. He, and now who is Daniel? He's royalty. He's from David's family. He's in the Davidic line. He was in line, you know, and so that's why they say when Nebuchadnezzar kidnapped some of the guys, they were royalty. They were from the royal family. And he brought Daniel up, and then he threw him in Chaldean Community College, which is, you know, he said, you're going to study three years and see, you know, if you can learn everything about our language and our ways. And what did Daniel do? I will not. I will, I will never study. No, that's what I love about Daniel. There wasn't this belligerence or this, you know, he didn't start a, a revolution against what was going on. He was smarter than that. That would not have worked, okay? So what he did is he said, okay. And then at the end of his three years of study, the king said, nobody's gotten a higher grade on the test than you. Nobody knows our ways better than you. Nobody can articulate our language better than you. I want you to work in my court. And then it just kept going. So you can see that it was the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and the Persian Empire. And here, here's interesting. I don't know if this is kind of small, but Ezekiel, you know, is a, a contemporary. Jeremiah is a contemporary of Daniel. So that, those guys are running around at the same time. Now, Isaiah, who's the old preacher, you know, he, he predated Daniel, but he talked about him. In fact, in Isaiah 39, Isaiah had a little prophecy here before the Babylonian captivity, before Daniel got kidnapped. And here's what he said. He said, some of your descendants, Israel, your own flesh and blood will be born to you and taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And people were like, uh, I hope not. No, that doesn't sound like a good idea. You know, you're not going to take some of our, Israel, our best Israeli, our own flesh and blood, and take them to a foreign place and make them serve an ungodly foreign king. He was talking about Daniel. And we also know Daniel's friends. We know them by name, right? They're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, that's not really their names, but that's, that, they gave them, they gave them you know, Chaldean, Babylonian names. Their names were Hananiah, Azrael, you know, Azariah, and Michelle. Now, you can imagine Michelle thinking, I'll go for a name change. You know, nah, that's a bad joke. But anyway, uh, but I'm saying like the, the, they had Hebrew names, Israeli names, like Daniel means God is my judge. And they said, no, nah, your name's Belshazzar, which is, you know, uh, we worship Baal. And so we'll give you one of Baal's names. We worship the, this guy came Nego. So you're Abednego. You're your servant of Nego. So they gave him all these Chaldean Babylonian names. And we actually know those names better than the Israeli names when it comes to the three Hebrew children, right? So that's kind of the interesting thing. But way before that, Isaiah prophesied that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. Daniel spent all of his adult life after being kidnapped in captivity. All of his adult life. He never returned to the city. So you can see that Daniel right here, these are the first six chapters of Daniel. This is kind of the time period that it covers. And so I think that's just interesting for those of you that are kind of, you know, uh, you want to be like Bible geeks like me a little bit. But that's, that's who Daniel was. Hostage his entire adult life, but on a mission from God. On a mission from God. 
In fact, uh, it says God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning to Daniel and his friends. Um, yeah, God was Daniel's mentor. Daniel had a divine mentor. Even though he had teachers and instructors and professors and he had to learn all this stuff, did you know that um, a lot of people ask the question, how did those guys, those wise men from the east, who the Bible says they, they'd heard that a star would appear when the king of Israel came, and then they showed up, you know, and most of them are in our nativity scenes, right? Like, even though they showed up a little later, but we kind of like the Hallmark version, what happens is, how did they even know about that? How did guys that were astronomers that were looking into the sky that saw a star, how did they get on their camel and head, you know, to see who Jesus was? Most scholars believe that it's because Daniel lived in Babylon. And not only did he learn the Chaldean ways, he taught the Chaldeans the Israeli ways. And Daniel never got to attend Passover. You know, he never got to attend, uh, you know, Pentecost. He never got to attend the Feast of Tabernacles. All the things that, you know, the, the Israelis are feasting folks. You know, and he did, that, was, that was gone, but not his devotion. And also, uh, scholars mostly believe that, yeah, you know, somebody went to this part of the world and told them, uh, this is what God says, and they kept it, you know, they wrote it down. And then they showed up later. I find that fascinating. Daniel chapter 6 is, is just the one verse I wanted to focus on. Daniel began distinguishing himself from among the commissioners and all the provincial leaders. Why? Because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. Whoa, I love that phrase. He possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So I just want to, you know, I, I, we don't want to get too into this phrase, extraordinary spirit, because, bad, I could just go there. But, you know, this, this, this word spirit in the Old Testament, I love that word because it's, it's a Hebrew word, means ruha, which means breath, Breath or air. In fact, the beginning of the Bible, some of you Bible students know this. In the beginning, right, God showed up and there was nothing except for what? The wind or the breath of God over the water. That's what it says. The wind over the water. That's the word ruha. It's the spirit of God over the water. And then many of you remember that when God did his creating, he created all, everything, whatever, and he created the, the earthling, you know, the human, the, you know, the, the, the humankind, the uh, Adam, you know, the guy, the, you know, the, it's not really a man, but it's like a, a, you know, a humanoid. Then he divided the humanoid into gendered pairs, right? But guess what? What was distinct about that part of the creative story? He breathed into them, ruha, the breath of life. And now this is that same word that Daniel possessed an extraordinary spirit that, the, that God breathed into his life. And other people recognize, especially like the king, you know. He says, man. And we know if we look at Daniel's life that there were a lot of things that uh, the, the king's advisors were just baffled, and Daniel would then ask permission to seek his God, and he would come, and he would, he'd just do some amazing stuff. Well, uh, um, this extraordinary spirit is something that I think um, is not exclusive to Daniel. I think that the people that work with you, as we stay on track, truth and grace in our lives, that people start to say, you know, there's something about them. They, how would I, they have an extraordinary spirit. There's something about them. There's this dimension of their life that's extraordinary, right? All of us can be ordinary, <laughs> but when something extra happens, then you're extraordinary. And this is what happened with Daniel. And people saw it. And I think people see it in your life as well. So I want to talk about two things I, I think are, are markers of this, this incredible, uh, extraordinary spirit. One of them was injustice did not affect Daniel's identity. 
Okay? Now listen, he had to suffer injustice. He got kidnapped and taken hostage and, you know, hauled away to a completely foreign environment and then told, this is what you have to do. And it didn't change who he was. He knew who he was. He knew he was uh, from the royal line of the Israeli nation. And no matter what happened in his life, no matter what injustice he suffered, no matter how much displacement he had to go through, it didn't change who he was. It didn't change who he was. You've heard this before. You go into a bakery, it doesn't make you a maple bar. You know what I mean? Like, hey, if we go into our world, some people are so uptight with trying to change the world so we can fit in, whatever. You don't have to, our world doesn't need to, to be changed. We are ambassadors in whatever context. I mean, even if we're involved and we're saying, man, you know what, my job, it, it, this is just not right. Hey, Daniel, he, he understood who he was. And he didn't let the injustice that, was, that, you know, that he had to go through affect his identity. I think that's a very important thing. That's characteristic of an extraordinary spirit. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, it says, the king, in Daniel 1, 3, the king commanded his palace master to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome. Peter, you could, they would have kidnapped you. Uh, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. Okay? And what it says there is that, look, even though he was going to go through uh, you know, a completely foreign doctrination, hey, it didn't change who he was. He was an Israelite of the royal family, of nobility. He was God's son. Yeah. Right? And I just think it's important for us to realize that because sometimes we kind of frustrate ourselves trying to figure out, like, I only want to work in a Christian company, in a Christian nation that sings Christian songs, that says Christian words, that <laughs> good luck. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like that. Where we operate does not change our identity. Yeah. I mean, I'm thankful for that. I love first responders and firefighters because when the place is on fire, they're running in. That's what God calls us to. He said, yeah, hey, maybe your culture's getting all, you know, crazy. Run in. You know, maybe you're getting taken hostage. Go for it. <laughs> Become an expert on what's going on and yet maintain your identity. Second thing I think is characteristic is that his context did not change his character. Because you can still know who you are, but you don't know why you are. <laughs> character is like, why? Why am I here? You know, what am I, what's my mission? And, and he was always on mission. Daniel was. In fact, uh, this is that verse we read earlier, the, the second part of it. Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master for permission not to defile himself. One of the things we notice about Daniel's character is that he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't uh, just like weird and, you know, and mean and just, you know, and, and, disagreeable and, you know, stomping his foot down. He was diplomatic. Daniel was, has ultimate diplomacy. When they said to him, hey, we need you to do this, and he's like, wow, that's a violation of, you know, my character. Like, I'm, I'm not, you know, that's, that's not going to be easy for me, so what am I going to do? You know, I'm going to ask the person for permission. And then you might remember the story. He goes, hey, 
Instead of eating this stuff that's not kosher, it's not on the list of, you know, uh, the Israelis, you know, like you don't want to have an Orthodox Jewish family over and go, hey, how about a ham and egg omelet? You know, that's not going to be good. You know, it's it's just mean. But this is what was happening. You know, they were saying, hey, you need to eat all this protein, you know, that, uh, you know, that, you you know, your tradition, you know, says you're going to, you know, you're not supposed to. And Daniel's like, oh, man, I'm in a tough spot. He asked permission. And he said to the guy, and the guy said, hey, man, you're going to get me in trouble. Like the king is going to take me out because if you guys aren't doing well, he goes, I totally understand. How about you give us 10 days? Just just give it a little try. 10 days and see how it goes. And after 10 days of eating kosher, they were doing fantastic and everything worked out. See, that's what I think is amazing. His character didn't change, even though his context did. He understood diplomacy all along the way. And even in fact, fact, you you might remember that, uh, you know, when... Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, listen, nobody can describe my dream, so all, everybody dies. <laughs> if you read Nebuchadnezzar, he's really into killing people and then wrecking their house. That was he, always a combo thing. You're going to die, and your house will be turned to rubble. It's like, okay, I get it. It's, that was his thing. And so he says, all the guys you know, that, I, that are supposed to be my advisors, they don't know a thing. They can't tell me what I dreamed. In fact, some of the Chaldean guys said to him, nobody could tell you that. You know, you tell us what your dream was, and we'll make something up. He goes, no, I'm not telling you. You tell me what my dream was if you're so spiritual. And they said to him, nobody can tell you that except God, and God does not live among the humans. And then Daniel said, king, after he heard that they're all going to die, he gets this notice. By the way, um, uh, get your stuff together. You're going to die next week or something. You know? <laughs> and so Daniel's like, why? Well, nobody can tell the king his dream. So it says in the Bible that he asked for permission to be to, to have just a small window of time to consult God. So diplomatic, you know? And, and not this attitude that is so easy to, you know, to be like, hey, you know, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. I had somebody tell me this the other day. If you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. And I was like, <laughs> that's a pretty simple way to live. <laughs> you know, don't have to think too much. Uh, but see, that's what happens. And, I think when God calls us to an extraordinary spirit, there's a diplomacy that we see. There's a diplomacy. And if we see uh, all through the Bible, Esther, right? I mean, there's a story of someone in a very difficult circumstance who was incredibly diplomatic. And, of course, in all of these cases that we, as we read in in the Hebrew Scriptures, God totally comes through. Same thing with Daniel. So, it's, I think, important for us to realize that, that, uh, that being in a different context does not have to change our character, you know? And we've all experienced that. Every context has a different culture, right? You work for a company, you get a different job, there's another culture. It's just, that's how it is. You live in a city, you move to another city, new culture. And so we have to realize that our culture does not shape our character. It's, it's God giving us this extraordinary spirit, this holy you know, uh, spirit of God. That's really the phrase is Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Now, one thing uh, we do when many of you know, and I know that many of us in this room today, even what uh, Pastor Peter was telling us early, some folks are going into 2022 without somebody that, uh, that they love that didn't make the trip. Like last year was the last year. You know, I have a memorial service on Wednesday for my favorite seven-year-old who, uh, is not going to make the trip. You know, he, he passed away um, just last week. And so th- that's, 
it's always this time of year when we think about it. And you see on TV like all those notable uh, individuals who passed away. It's the kind of time of the year when we look back and think, oh, yeah. I mean, like Betty White. Betty waited till the last day of the year, you know, and, but she's not with us anymore, right? There's some of these people that are more uh, recognized and famous. Some of you football fans, you know, you know, like, what about, I mean, we got some, some folks like, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, who's the guy that was Mr. Uh, yeah, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, all the video games and everything. You know, classic NFL guy, John Madden, you know, not only a coach, but a commentator. Uh, some baseball fans this year that Hank Aaron, you know, made it to the border and crossed over. Um, and we think about, you know, great leaders, uh, but one of the ones that, that I've spent some time thinking about, and because I have a bit of a connection, not too much, I've never m- met him personally, but I went to South Africa, and I worked with the anti-apartheid kind of movement back in the day, and uh, Desmond Tutu was the archbishop, you know, of the Anglican church there. Now, his last public speech was at the Tacoma Dome. In, uh, and I went, you know, and, and it was uh, awesome. I mean, it's, it's like a really cool experience. And, and I don't know how many of you know Desmond Tutu, but uh, he's a tremendous leader. Um, and he was the pastor for Nelson Mandela. And really, big reason why when uh, apartheid was, you know, fell apart, thankfully, that there wasn't a retaliation or, you know, some kind of a, you know, vengeance, but there was an incredible diplomacy in how that happened, and Desmond Tutu is a big part of that. Well, what a lot of people don't know is Trevor Huddleston is the Anglican priest uh, that's kind of responsible for Desmond Tutu even being a pastor. And the story was that when, uh, and uh, again, I've had a chance to go to, the, to uh, Soweto, to some of the large, you know, uh, really ghettos that they isolated people and would only let them out to work, and, you know, it was just, it was really crazy. And what happens is uh, that in those particular uh, ghettos, you know, where they, they just put together these cinder block houses and it was kind of like a big, everybody lived in a barracks kind of. Well, when I visited there, I actually visited with a guy who was born and raised there and we went to his mom's house and she made us tea and she was wonderful, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I got a firsthand experience. Well, what happened was in those, almost nobody white would ever show up in those areas because, you know, uh, they just wouldn't. So, but Trevor Huddleston, uh, he loved South African people and uh, he would always spend every day in these, in these huge, you know, uh, these huge town, they call them townships. But, uh, and one of the things that happened is, is um, if you were white, okay, and you're walking down the street, anybody who was not white, which was mostly black folks in South Africa, they would have to get off the sidewalk and let you walk by. And then they would have to say, hey, you know, respect or whatever, you know. And so what happens is uh, here comes Desmond, whose mom uh, was a house cleaner. And she's walking down the sidewalk, and here all of a sudden comes this white guy with a hat on. They didn't know he was an Anglican, you know, uh, uh, Desmond's mom did, but Desmond was nine years old. And what happened was when his mom saw the guy coming, she starts to kind of grab his hand, and the guy said, wait, he stepped off the sidewalk, and and he said, you know, sidewalk's yours. And when she walked back, bye, he, he, he donned his hat to her, and Desmond, nine years old, he said, who is that guy? She said, he's a man of God. And Desmond Tutu said, that's what I want to be. Trevor Huddleston was the one who impacted Desmond Tutu, and Desmond Tutu changed the world with Nelson Mandela. And I'm saying that we never know. When we show an extraordinary spirit, 
when we operate diplomatically in a difficult context, when we see that who we are is not changed by any injustice that we're involved in, it changes the world. That's what happened in Daniel's life. And I'm telling you that people are watching. And uh, any time that we show God's love, I mean, how many nine-year-olds cross your path and make a decision that they're going to live a different kind of life? There's a statue in Bedford, England, which I had to chase down. Bedford's just between Cambridge and Oxford, north of London. And there's a statue of Trevor Huddleston. And on it, uh, Nelson Mandela's quote, no white person has ever done more for South Africa than Trevor Huddleston. This guy is a hero, and uh, especially standing against any kind of you know, racism or that, kind of, that apartheid kind of mentality around the world today. So my question is, who are you and why are you? You know, what about your character? You know, what about your identity in whatever context you're in? Because when you stay on track other people start to, they start to find that track. When they see grace and truth in you, they think, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. And that's why uh, God calls us to this city, you know, and that we're a part of this community. And so I just, uh, I hope that um, as you kind of think about Daniel, you think, wow, you know, that's a long time ago. Then maybe you think, yeah, but, you know, Desmond Tutu just passed away, so that's kind of like now. And then you think, well, me, I'm still here. I'm on side of the border. I haven't come to the border yet. And so I would pray that, that God would say to us today, uh, hey, keep tracking. You know, keep, keep it up. Stay in a groove. You know, keep doing what you're doing. Keep honoring God, you know, in every area of your life. Keep demonstrating diplomacy, you know, and, and, uh, and understanding your identity is not changed by injustice. That's the extraordinary spirit. So let's sing one more song on our way out as the musicians and artists come to uh, prepare for that. Why don't you bow your head for a sec? Those of you at home, if you can do that as well, that'd be awesome. Kind of create a little moment of privacy uh, wherever you're at. Maybe you're here, you know, today and you'd say, you know what? Uh, You know, I need God to breathe into my life. I need this extraordinary spirit. I've got caught up in circumstance, injustice, and culture, and I, I, I'm kind of stuck in the weeds. I want to be like Trevor Huddleston, who's, who understands when an opportunity comes down the sidewalk. So I pray, God, for your people today, whether they're listening online or s- seated right here in this room. I pray that we would come, and with the spirit of Daniel, uh, with, with this this ability to to honestly ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit, with this extraordinary spirit that you have for us, that you would breathe into our lives and do what only you can do. Bring us to life. Regenerate us. Help us to understand who we are and why we're here. Help us to live lives that stay on mission whether we ever get to go back to the city and celebrate with our own or we're exiled somewhere, that, uh, that we can keep tracking, that you can fill our lives with grace and with truth, and uh, we'll be careful to give you praise because you deserve it. Amen.